I hope it's true to say that most Christians enjoy reading Christian biography and church history. You should do. So let's take for granted that most Christians enjoy reading biography and church history. When we do so, we feel the joy of reading about God's marvelous grace. We see God saving sinners and our hearts are lifted up. We also learn the lessons of Christian life and warfare from those who went before us. We see their struggles and victories and the trials, same trials that we may face in our own lives. So we benefit from these things. We also feel the challenge of those who gave their lives consecrated to God. We read their testimonies and we feel the weight of their example and the challenge that brings to our souls. One of the most loved and influential biographies is that of David Brainerd, the missionary to Native Americans in the 1700s. We were certainly struck by the fact he died so young before the 30th birthday, but he had burned for Christ. His diaries provided a lasting legacy, leaving a testimony of holiness, heartache, and a hungering to serve God. I think I'm right in saying they've just been reprinted in, in recent weeks. One entry in his diary reads as follows. How shall I yield 10,000 times more honour to God? What shall I do to glorify and worship this best of things? Oh, that I could consecrate myself, soul and body, to his service forever. Oh, that I could give up myself to him so as never more to attempt to be my own. Or to have any will or affections that are not perfectly conformed to him. Oh, that I could consecrate myself, soul and body to his service forever. We read this or we hear this read and I think we all as Christians recognize that these desires should be ours. You need to be very cold and hard and far away from the Lord not to hear those words and say, well, that probably should be my desire as well. This desire should not be reserved for a David Brainerd. This longing should be part of all of our Christian experience. But you are not David Brainerd. Some of you may, though, be called to a similar service. But most of you will not be. We must prove God for ourselves. And my desire in this text is again to recognize that this text is a call to David Brainerd-like sacrifice and service. It does constitute that. And I do pray that it will be used of God to, to touch some heart. That they, would, they would give themselves to such a life of service for the glory of God. However... Not all are called to that task. That does not mean, therefore, that this text doesn't apply to you. So, so yes, we understand that God gifts and calls people in different ways. But if we look at this text and see, well, this text produces Brainards, we should not think that and then think to ourselves, therefore, it has nothing to do with me. We are not all called to be Brainards, but we are all called to consecration. That consecration will look different from person to person, but it is a call to all. 
we are all called to consecration by this text. It's also worth remembering, though, that this text will undoubtedly provoke feelings of failure and guilt in a sensitive soul. If you didn't feel that way last Lord's Day, I did something wrong. You should have been aware of your feelings. You, you should have been aware that whew, this just isn't quite where I'm at. But remember, this side of eternity, we will never obey the Lord's commands perfectly. I cut off Brainerd's quotation deliberately early. Let me read to it again. He says this. Oh, that I could consecrate myself, soul and body, to his service forever. Oh, that I could give up myself to him so as never more to attempt to be my own or to have any will or affections that are not perfectly conformed to him. But alas, I find I cannot be thus entirely devoted to God. I cannot live and not sin. Gotta see the whole thing, folks. This text should come as a heavy weight upon your soul, but the Lord's commandments are not burdensome. We feel the weight of conviction that we are not what we ought to be in the service of God, but yet we understand that those feelings are a reflection of our sin and our standing before God. Please listen carefully. Our standing before God is in Christ and not in the level of our service. We stand before God in judgment in Christ's perfect, sinless life of consecration. He obeyed this principle in absolute perfection, giving himself as a sacrifice unto God. We fail to do that, but Christ's blood covers all of our sins of commission and omission. However, again, we recognize that we can only consecrate ourselves in the power of the Spirit. And recognizing our failures does not absolve us of our responsibilities. You know, it is, it is complete and utter nonsense to say to yourself, I cannot sin or I cannot serve perfectly, therefore I will not serve at all. That makes no sense. We understand that we cannot sinlessly consecrate ourselves but we can do it sincerely. And we must sincerely consecrate ourselves to the Lord's service. Or else this text has no power upon our souls. So what does it mean? Well, well last time we began to look at this in terms of the exhortation. And the reinforcement of that exhortation in terms of the mercies of God. I'm not looking back over all of that ground. But I want to remind you one thing. And that is this consecration is not a reason to obtain God's mercy. It is rather a thankful, humble response to that mercy. It is not that we live in such a way as to earn God's mercy, but rather having received God's mercy, we consecrate ourselves to his glory and to his service. Which leads today to consideration, really, of the explanation of this exhortation, this consecration explained. And there are several terms used, and each phrase and word is so very, very important. Now, you'll see a little diagram in your order of service today that I really wanted to try. I did this in my own notes, and I thought, well, I'll give it to you the way it is in my own notes. It's an attempt to try to explain 
really what this is all about in the middle section of this verse. Now, young folks, if you do diagramming of sentences as part of your English grammar, please do not show your teacher this diagram. It's not about accurate diagramming of sentence and grammatical precision. It's based upon some of that, but that's not really what it's all about. But what you do see is, you, you see a, a main verb in this middle section. So we're looking at the section that you present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. And your main verb is that verb present. So the sentence really is, you present something to God. You present something to God, and that something, of course, is a sacrifice. But as you present this to God, you're presenting your bodies a living sacrifice. And in so doing, that presentation to God is both holy and acceptable to God. And so you'll, you'll see the arrows and the lines there to try to explain that. And I, I hope you understand them. That's the, the sense of these words. And so what you see, then, what we're going to do is we're going to try to build this up bit by piece. Section by section, and we're going to build this uh, and, and get to a final conclusion in the, in the third heading. The first thing to note is this is a command. I know, before you begin to quibble, I understand, strictly speaking, it is a plea from the Apostle. But as an apostolic plea, to your heart and mind right now, it must come as a command. It's got to be seen as the will of God to your soul. As the Apostle Paul pleads with you to consecrate yourself, that comes with the force of a command from Almighty God. And to ignore that command... It is to act in violation to the sovereign will of God. It is a command to present a sacrifice. And under that thought, I want you to see that this is an analogy from the Old Testament worship. And it's also seen as an act of New Testament worship. So first of all, it is an analogy from Old Testament worship. The word present here is the word to offer. It has that of offering something to God, a sacrifice. The apostle is putting before us an Old Testament image, an Old Testament analogy. Of course, you will know your Old Testament in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Leviticus. There are many, many words regarding sacrifice and the, the presentation of offerings. You hear the language? The presentation of offerings. We offer a sacrifice. We present an offering unto God. It's, it's Old Testament language. And so we often think of this really as a, as a New Testament equivalent of that Old Testament service. And we'll come to that later on. But this is not the first time that Paul has used this word present. And so we need to turn back, please, to Romans chapter 6. You see, if we are going to properly understand Romans 12... We must understand the concepts and the language of Romans chapter 6. Paul is not bringing something brand new to the hearts of his hearers. He's already underscored this principle. And now he's going to extrapolate the principle of Romans 6 in practical terms. What does Romans 6 look like in a church? This is how it looks like in a church. And so back in Romans chapter 6... We have a very key chapter in Paul's argument regarding the gospel. Justification pardons us of all of our sins. But that does not mean that we sin recklessly to enjoy more grace. 
That's impossible for the child of God. For the one who is justified has the work of the Spirit of God in them, whereby they are also sanctified. They've been set apart by God and radically changed by the power of the gospel. So then you get to verse number 12. In light of the power of God, whereby we are raised to newness of life, Paul says in verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't obey sin in your bodies. Verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of right of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So there I want you to see you're, you're seeing similar terms. You've got the reference to the body in verse number 12. You've got the reference, again, to being alive, a living sacrifice member in verse number 13. And in the midst of all that, you have this word yield. Yield. The same word that's used for present in chapter 12, verse number 1. Present. Don't present your members for unrighteousness, but rather present your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, to be used in God's hand to bring about righteousness. It's our word. And so look on down to verse number 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Can you go back to verse number 12? Let not sin reign in your body, that ye should obey it. Now verse number 16, whoever you yield yourselves to obey, that's your master, whose servant you are. And so if you yield yourselves to sin, then sin is your master. If you yield yourselves to God and righteousness, then God and righteousness, they're your masters. And again, the word yield here is our word present. Present yourselves as a servant to a master. Yield yourselves as a servant unto God. So again, we see the idea of offering, presenting, or yielding our bodies as servants to a master. So the use of the word present, therefore, is very interesting, I hope, I hope you see it is. It certainly brings to mind the Old Testament practices of, of burnt offerings and sacrifices. And yes, it is the typical word used to denote the laying of the sacrifice on the altar. But the word also carries this idea. It is the idea of putting oneself at someone else's disposal. Under someone else's authority. Clearly, we are those who have been made alive in Christ. In such a way, we are dead to sin. We have died to sin, alive to Christ, and as a dead to sin sacrifice, we now present ourselves to God for his use as living sacrifices. Not to die, but as those who live. And so Paul is, is taking an analogy, but he's, he's taking principles from an analogy, not exactly equivalents. 
And so yes, we often refer to this as, well, you need to lay yourself upon the altar. But the point is not the altar. It's the fact you present yourself to God upon the altar. It's the fact that you put yourself at God's use for God's disposal. Under his authority to do his will. Not to serve sin and self, but to serve God and righteousness. That's why in chapter 6 it says this. I speak after the manner of men, verse 19, because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. Dead to sin. Alive to holiness. A living sacrifice unto God. Why am I laboring this? Because I think we need to be very careful regarding the language of sacrifice in Christian service. We often think of sacrifice in terms of what we are giving up. That person made a great sacrifice. And the idea that they they gave up something to serve the Lord. I don't believe that's what Paul is looking at here. We are giving ourselves entirely for God to use as he pleases. But be very careful with the thought of sacrifice. Often regarded as some sort of loss. Remember please Mark chapter 10. Turn back to Mark chapter 10. Where Peter comes to Lord... Acknowledging really what they've left behind. I want to say right now, the Lord does not rebuke or deny what Peter says. Verse number 28 says, Then Peter began to say unto him, Again, this is the context of the, of the young ruler, and it's hard to enter the kingdom of God as the rich because he won't leave off their riches. And Peter says, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. That was true. They'd left their nets, left their homes, and they'd left all and followed Christ. And we might say, what a sacrifice they made. Look at the sacrifice of the apostles. Look at all they gave up for the Lord. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, there is no man that have left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospel's. But he shall receive an hundredfold now and this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions. And the world to come eternal life. Those who gave their lives for God. Understood the care that they gave in words regarding sacrifice. You'll know the story of Jim Elliot who lost his life again. Seeking to bring the gospel to the Ock Indians. And he was... Very well known to say he is no fool. He gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. No sacrifice there. Spurgeon is well known to say if God calls you to be a minister, don't stoop to be a king. God is no man's debtor. We've seen that in the closing verse of chapter 11. So what you're seeing in this is not that if I serve God, I'm going to lose out. 
I really worry young people, you see it this way. A living sacrifice means that it's going to cost me something. Oh yes, it'll cost you. But it's no sacrifice. You're not the poor off for serving God. You're the richer. You have more blessings in following God. It does not mean life will not be difficult. Persecutions mentioned, even unto death itself. But you know, if you lose your life, you gain your soul. There's no loss in serving God. Young people, please don't listen to the thinking of the world in this. There's riches in following Christ. Glories in serving the God of heaven. The sacrifice here is you saying, I give up on myself. I'm not going to use my body to serve sin and self. I'm going to use my body to serve the Lord. And I give myself to be used at your disposal. And dear people, that's not just for Brainards, it's for all of you. Are yielding yourself to be used in God's service as he wills. It is this Old Testament analogy. But properly understood to be simply an analogy. It's also seen to be a New Testament act of worship. Again, you think of our text again. You know what it says. You present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Now, I'm not going back to the word reason. We saw it last time. But the word service here is a word that, again, is used regarding Old Testament worship. It's used that way in Hebrews chapter 9. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service. So the, the rituals and the ceremonies, they were known as divine service. And so what you're seeing here is, in this yielding your body, what are you doing? You're, you're worshipping God. You're giving glory and honour to God. And that's your highest end. Man's chief end is to glorify God. And how do you do that? Well, you, you do that with your lips as you praise the Lord. But you also do that with your lives. That's your chief purpose in life. In other words, to feel to yield yourself to God is to feel to properly worship God. That's how serious this is. If you determine in your soul not to fulfill the task of this, this verse, you're actually violating the first commandment. Because you're not worshipping God in the way that God has commanded. Putting God first in your life. You see, in this reasonable service, you are giving honour to God. You're giving honour to God's mercies. You're giving honour to God's grace. You're, you're showing all of that in your life as you yield yourself unto God. But also, very simply, you're giving thanks to God. Turn back, please, to Psalm 15. I'm going to take you through three, three Psalms very, very quickly. Just read the verses and move on. But please look at this in your own Bible. Psalm 50. And the verse number 14. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Here we're seeing immediately thanksgiving is an offering unto God. And therefore the principle is, if Paul is telling us to offer ourselves, that offering is an act of thanksgiving. God has saved you and kept you 
Therefore you yield yourself unto God, not to earn his mercy, but in response to his mercy. Then Psalm 107, and the verse number 22. Psalm 107, and the verse number 22. And let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and declare his works with rejoicing. Uh, you're seeing that part of the old covenant ceremony was in their sacrifices. Not only were they dealing with their sin and finding atonement, but they, they were also they were giving praise and thankfulness to God. Thanksgiving. And then one last psalm. It's the psalm we signed together, the Psalm 116. And that psalm that exalts the goodness of God in the land of the living. I love the Lord. Verse number one, I love the Lord because he heard my voice. And then down to verse number 12, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Verse number 17, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. These things come together. This analogy is recognizing, again, that as Paul beseeches and urges the saints of God, that as they give, present their bodies a sacrifice unto God, they're doing so in thankfulness to God. What a wonderful privilege that is. So that's the command to present a sacrifice. The second thing to note then, please, as we build this up, is to recognize that this is a command to present yourselves as that sacrifice. And here we come to think of these two words, living and body. Living. Living clearly qualifies the sacrifice. This is not the same as the Old Testament. It's not a call for you, as it wasn't a call for them, to get an animal and go to the temple and offer a sacrifice unto God in the new covenant. That time is gone. The new covenant required this living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, there were dead animals offered unto God. Here the sacrifice consists of people like you and me, who were once dead in sin, but now made alive in the Spirit of God, giving ourselves unto God for his use. I don't want to take too much time, but please, this is yet another way in which we see the relationship between the old and the new covenant. There is continuity between the two, and yet diversity. They're not the same. There are differences between God's administration in the old covenant when compared to the new It's important to know how the old and the new relates. Paul has just taken three chapters to teach Gentiles to value the grace and the faithfulness of God in the old covenant. You just work it through that as God forsaken his covenant? Well, no. But he shows how the Gentiles are involved. And now he's going to show us in this new covenant, this is what worship looks like in the new covenant. This is what sacrifice looks like. He's telling us not to go back to the old. Don't restart the old. As Hebrews 8 says, that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. God will still be worshipped and honoured, but now in the church and not in the temple. And now with lives and not with animals. Beware of those eschatology thoughts that include a rebuilding of the temple and a reinstitution of sacrifice. The new covenant involves you giving yourselves. Uh, the reinstitution of sacrifice in a temple is not fulfilling the new covenant. It's against the new covenant which involves you giving yourselves unto God. 
not animals. And so there's this continuity, but yet diversity. And so what you see that is, therefore, it is a presenting of your bodies. You see, what, what are we really offering to God? Well, is this, this word bodies, present your bodies. Now, again, it's, it's a fair to say that uh, within Reformed commentaries, there are really a couple of different views that, are, uh, that, that dominate in those writings. There are some who, they see the word body as to refer to the totality of the person. Body, soul, mind, will, the, the entire person is offered unto God in that regard. Other men, uh, and with them I, I have to agree, they see that Paul is giving a particular emphasis here to the physical body. He's not excluding the fact that we give ourselves as an entire person under God. He's not arguing with that, but he's making a particular point here. That the offering here is not simply someone in their mind giving praise unto God. It is that the offering involved here involves you doing something with your body. That's the point he's making. It is the physicality of New Testament worship in giving your bodies into God's hand for God's service. That's how Paul has used the word earlier. Remember back in chapter 6? Chapter 6 and verse number 12. We saw that. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And clearly referring to your physicality. And those bodies have members that can be used for righteousness or unrighteousness. In a similar fashion over in chapter 8 verse number 13. If you live after the flesh you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And you see the language of, of physicality here. Again, I, I'm, not, I'm not ruling out, of course, the importance of giving your soul and your mind and your will and your emotions all unto God. That's not the point. But it's recognizing that Christian service is intensely practical and involves the actions of our physical frame. You see, that, that stood in contrast to the Greek philosophy of Paul's day. The body in Greek philosophy was despised. The body, uh, an unnecessary, encumber, unnecessary encumbrance that, that, that kind of weighed down your soul to what your soul could really be outside the body. Paul had no time for that thought. He understood that God made man, Adam, body and soul. He understood that the final task and redemption was the redemption of the body. The souls are safe with God, but the body resurrected. Paul valued the human body and understood that body was to be given to God. And with this in mind, Paul could not think of sanctification without reference to our bodies. We must offer our bodies to God. You see, any view of holiness. It does not include this emphasis, does not do justice to the themes of Scripture. I take you back again to Romans chapter 6. Do not present your members as instruments of, right, of unrighteousness unto sin, but present yourselves to God and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So very simple. Don't use your tongue for sin but for righteousness. Don't use your hands for sin, 
but for service. Don't let your feet take you in the paths of wickedness, but take you in the paths of righteousness. Don't bow down your knees to idols, but bow down your knees in prayer unto God. It's so very, very simple. It's this idea that our service to God is not simply a spiritual matter within ourselves, but it's a spiritual matter we're alive unto God that has a physicality attached to it. The picture before us, again, is a, it's a wonderful image in mind or sacrifice. It's not propitiatory. It doesn't secure, again, uh, the atonement of our souls, but it's practical. It's not necessarily global, but it's certainly local. It's not in the Old Testament temple, but it's in the New Testament temple, the church. That's why verse number 3 says, For I say... He's going to take up again the thought of verse 1 and 2 in verse number 3 and then bring this right down to earth. What does consecration look like for you today? It looks like wholehearted commitment to the service of a local church. That's what's going to be said in Romans chapter 12. The body in view in Romans 12 is not the universal church in general but the local church body in Rome. And he's going to tell the people, you consecrate yourselves to God. This is what it looks like. And he gives this list of examples whereby according to various graces, you serve the body in that regard. His view of consecration is serving the body of Christ in a local church. You know, sometimes young people, they, they, they get stirred up in their souls. There's, there's a maturity involved in it. And they, they, they say, oh, I, wanna, I want to do this for God and that for God. But they're not members of the local church. And they've no service in the local church at all. They do nothing in their church. No way do they serve the body in any way. But they say, well, I, I want to I go to this land and that land. Young people, it starts here. It starts here with what you give to the body of God's people here. And don't wait until you're older. If you're saved by God's grace, you've been given gifts by God's grace. And you must use those gifts for the glory of God in this very place. To these people. Some you may like better than others. But this is what you get. This is the body that God has given you in this place. And therefore it is our duty and our responsibility to consecrate ourselves unto God in this place for Christ's glory in the church. And so you have examples given here. Examples like giving. Examples like exhorting. For the elders, those who rule, for those who can show mercy, they show mercy. There's, there's, there's all manner of different gifts and different acts of service for the glory of God. And so let me encourage you. Be thankful to God for the grace to do what you deem to be the least act of service. Pastor, I, I do nothing in this church. By being here, you have served God today. Hebrews 10. Don't forsake the send yourselves together as some do, but be here, and in so doing, you provoke. Others to love and good works. Your presence here is an act of service. 
Your gifts, your tithes and offerings are acts of service. Your words of comfort and encouragement, acts of service. Your prayers in the house of God, acts of service. There are many, many very, very simple ways in which you yield yourself to God. That's why I say to him, be careful. Don't say it's only for Brainards. You may not be gifted or called to be a Brainard, but you're gifted and called in your own body to use your body to serve God in this place. So do it. And be thankful. Because what you deem to be the least act of service for God in this church is not seen as being small in Christ's sight. The cup of water in my name is honoured by Christ. The simple act of compassion and kindness in the service of God is to exalt the Lord. But make sure you have that foundation in place. That you've given yourself to serve God in a biblically ordered local church. And whilst we are thankful for the grace to do the least act of service, be honest before God and ask yourself the question, could I not do something more? Is there not some area of giftedness that God has given me that I know I'm neglecting, I'm not using properly for the glory of God in this church? What could I do to serve the Lord in this place? You see, whilst I want to make you understand that these acts of service are not those things you see as extreme and going to far off lands, I also want to provoke you and to stimulate your mind to say, am I really giving everything I can? Given my context, my family responsibilities, my work responsibilities, given my, my age, my physical abilities, all of those things, you balance all of those in the, in the pot, you keep it all in mind. Say, so, yes, Lord, I, I believe I'm, I'm yielding myself to you at this time. And if not, say, what can I do? You're presenting your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. Third and finally, and briefly, this command is to present yourselves to God as that sacrifice. Again, our text, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Now, the, the unto God really qualifies all of that. Yes, it's acceptable unto God, but the sacrifice is also unto God. And that's a sense of the word holy. Holy. We understand that holy refers to the absence of impurity in that sense. It's a holy God in whom there is light and no darkness. And undoubtedly it was necessary for the Old Testament sacrifice to be holy, not to be ceremonially unclean. And yes, in a sense... We have to ensure that we are sanctified and meet for the master's use. There's a need to be set apart from sin, forgiven, saved, to then serve God. But holy here also has the idea that fits well with the thought of presenting our bodies. Because something that was holy was set apart by God for God. The instruments in the tabernacle, they were all made holy. The ceremonies of those things, they were made holy to be useful in God's service. And so to be holy in this sense is not to be free from every sin, but it is to be set apart for God's use. And so again you're saying, I give myself to God that God would use me as he chooses. Submitting yourselves to God's grace in your life that you don't covet somebody else's gifts. You're content with the gifts that God has given you. 
But you also recognize that you use those gifts for God and for his glory, not for self. Not for self-exaltation, but for God's glory and for the comfort and benefit of God's people in the church. You're holy today. You know, I, I don't want to tell you what to do in the next half hour. But I believe, I, I know the situation here. I believe that in that lobby between our services, somebody in this gathering said something to somebody else that lifted their spirits today. They perhaps came into the house of God and they were, they were somewhat downcast, but they had an, an interaction in the lobby that, that just did their soul so much good. And the person that spoke those words was in that moment holy unto God. Set apart an instrument in God's hand being used by God for his glory and for the good to one of his children in this place. Isn't it great that you can be used of God? Isn't it wonderful that you're holy unto God for the Lord's use? This is part of what God does in sanctification and in saving our souls. Holy. And of course also then, this is for the pleasure of God. Acceptable to God. This living, holy sacrifice is deemed as being acceptable unto God. That was a concern in the Old Covenant. What sacrifice will God be pleased with? Only those commands that God had given. But you know, when we give ourselves unto God, God is pleased with our offerings. That's tremendously humbling. Now, as you might say back in Ulster, that a dirty, rotten sinner could be used of God. And in that service, pleasing to God is yet another display of God's marvelous grace. That as he works in us by his spirit and uses us in his church, so in so doing, the Father smiles upon us. Our offerings are acceptable to him. And so verse 1, I have to say I'm glad I didn't try to preach that one sermon. But what do they do with it? Well, take time, dear child of God, to meditate much upon the gospel. All of this comes out of a heart that values the mercies of God. And so you find yourself and you're wondering, I, I'm not quite there, Pastor. I, I want to get there. I want to give myself more to the Lord. Where do I start? Start again in Romans chapter 1 through 11. Study again the glories of the gospel and ask the Lord to open your heart and your mind to marvel at the mercies of God in the gospel and then pray that the Spirit of God would then drive this thought in your soul. Now I want to give myself unto God afresh. But if you value the gospel, again ask yourself the very simple question. What can I do? What should I do to glorify God? What are my gifts what are my opportunities? Hospitality, encouragement, evangelism, Sabbath school. What can I do to serve God in the church of Christ here? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain, what he cannot lose. I want to close again today with singing the hymn we sang last Lord's Day. The hymn 137. When I survey the wondrous cross, just again to give us a chance to reflect upon the word. 
to meditate upon it again and to respond where the whole realm of nature mine not were an offering far too small love so amazing so divine demands my soul my life my all stand together please to sing this song to the lord Father, we've read the word, we've thought the word again today. We pray now the devil would not snatch away the seed of the word. We pray, dear Father, for the grace to preserve the word in our souls, to consider carefully again the application of it. Help us, Lord, to understand the simplicity of this call, and yet its searching nature again to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for the church of Christ that you've given in this place. We thank you for the fellowship of the saints that we enjoy. Bind our hearts together. Help us, O oh Lord, to help each other on the road to glory and our love for Christ Jesus. Bring us back together this evening in your will. Bless our brother Rose as he comes to bring the word. Help us again to glorify thee throughout this day. As we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>